Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hi everybody, it's Doc from the John Freakin' Mirpod, and I want to let you know about our new website on WordPress. Take a few minutes and check it out. You'll be able to find pictures of the pod's guests, links to the podcast and social media accounts, ways to support the pod, how to get in touch, and our entire back catalog is there, including episode summaries. Missed these sections of the JMT episodes? You can find them there. Missed a Triple Crowner episode? Yep, that's there too. World travelers, adventure athletes, polar explorers, Barkley Marathon competitors, authors, filmmakers, documentarians, and more are waiting for you. Take a look at the new website, and just a reminder, adventure lives here. Distance changes utterly when you take the world on foot. A mile becomes a long way. Two miles, literally considerable. Ten miles, whopping. Fifty miles at the very limits of conception. The world, you realize, is enormous in a way that only you and a small community of fellow hikers know. Planetary scale is your little secret. Bill Bryson. Yeah, I got charged by a moose um, in the calendar year Triple Crown. It was near Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and just came up was hiking down the trail I thought there were um, a shed or antlers laying on the ground and was like oh I'm close to town I can pick these up and move them back or send them back then they started moving and it turned out it was two bull moose and one of them got up real slow and I'm videoing and then suddenly he just puts his head down and charges right at me and I dove into the bushes just started scrambling up and hid behind a tree I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freaking Mirpod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and Renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. 
Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, help us out. Take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, on to this week's guest. Today, we are talking to a real legend, which is actually his trail name. I want to start off by thanking Jason Fitzpatrick of Mile, Mile and a Half for the suggestion to bring Jeff Legend Garmeyer onto the podcast and for allowing me to drop his name while setting this all up. If our listeners are interested in epic long distance through hiking, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the pod, Legend. Thanks. Yeah, and I know Jason really well, so I'm glad that he could link us up and we can talk about anything and everything on here. Okay, now I want you to be honest with me. If I had not dropped Jason's name, if I had just reached out to you on a cold call and said, hey, legend, come on the pod, would I have gotten any response? Yeah, but we'd probably be doing it in April or May. I don't think I would have turned around uh, so quickly. It helped to, to remember it in my mind for uh, having Jason. Nice. I would have done it. It would have been more scheduling issues, I think. Awesome. So extra shout out to Jason Fitzpatrick. Thank you very much, Jason. All right. First, first off, we go strictly by trail names. So Jeff Garmeyer, it's out the window from this point on. Uh, it's legend strictly. Um, you have to tell us the story behind the trail name. Is it because of, of the 30,000 miles by age 30 or is there another story behind legend? There's a much earlier story on in the progression of those miles about 29,700 miles ago when uh, I was on my first through hike on the Pacific Crest Trail in 2011. We were, I was with, hiking with a group doing a traditional PCT hike and we left Wrightwood, California and we should have packed out trail food. It's kind of one of the things you do your first night back on trail, but we didn't. And so we were sitting at Grassy Hollow Visitor Center one mile from Inspiration Point and just talking like, man, we should have packed out a pizza. It's like 5 p.m. And I just said, well, I can go back to the trail or back to the road, hitch into town, get us a pizza and be back here in an hour and a half. And they're like, there's no way. And so that was the challenge. And then I walked back to Inspiration Point, got a hitchhike down to the pizza place in Wrightwood, got a ride back up, had two pizzas. I even went to the grocery store, got some steaks we cooked over the fire. Um, and they said that that was legendary. So from then on, I became known as legend. <laughs> and you show up with some, some hard fought, good grub and it's legend. I totally understand that. Yeah. And I, I guess the other, the other part of that story that I learned quickly was without a pack, it was actually a lot harder to hitchhike because I was just standing there like some strange person at the trailhead with, with nothing with me. So uh, I learned from then on the pack is a nice tool when you're trying to hitchhike to, to places. Show them you're a hiker. <laughs> That's right. I can imagine you were, you were 300 miles in. Yeah, about 300 miles, I think. Yep. So a 300 mile looking through hiker without a backpack could be a pretty scary sight on the side of a road. Yeah. Smelling from a mile away. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the way that you referenced the time period. You didn't, you didn't use time. You just used miles, 29,700 <laughs> miles ago. And I think for, for all through hikers, that should be kind of the benchmark to, to show your experience. You don't talk about what you did last year or last month. You say, hey, you know, 75 miles ago or, or <laughs> 1,700 miles ago. It's all 
Yeah, very, that's very so cool true, way to refer to it. <laughs> in a through hike too, that's so true that you're talking about 500 miles back or one state back or you're doing something completely different than how many weeks ago. No one knows weeks when every day is the same. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Hey, Legend, have you listened to the podcast before? I have not. Okay. And the only reason I ask is because I want to make sure that you are aware of a regular feature we have on the podcast called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And so towards the end of the episode, I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you for some bit of uh, wisdom, uh, for, for some, some trail insight about what's going to help our listeners' next outdoor experience be that much more epic. So mm -hmm. yep. be on the lookout for that. Don't be surprised when I ask you. Gotcha. Yep. Already. Okay. Very good. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So what do you this think? Is, this is going to be very very beginner, but I love putting on a fresh, clean, new pair of socks. So no matter how many socks are packed, I want a fresh, clean, new pair. I want, I just think socks when they're clean and fresh have that feeling that can brighten my day. And maybe that makes me strange or unique, but I don't need gloves or anything extra warm anywhere else. But the feet, you got to have that extra pair. Yeah, foot care is so important on the trail. I mean, that's that's what's taking you from point A to point B. And if you if you uh, if your feet get messed up or you're constantly thinking about how bad they hurt or the blisters, mm -hmm. uh, the rest of it's just miserable. Yep, and even just having that third pair to transition between, what whether you change out your socks midday or whatever, I've just found that you can't really have too many pairs of socks. <laughs> what is the correct number? of pairs of socks for the PCT, let's say? Um, I think a lot of people go with two, but I would probably go with three. I think just three. And the key is you can stretch your socks pretty far, but changing them out every, you know, 300 miles would be perfect just because you don't have to depend on them too much. And then every couple of weeks you get this fresh new pair of socks and that's... <laughs> It's just, I think, coming from where I'm putting in 20-hour days on some of these FKTs, getting to change socks and have fresh gear, I think, just shows how much you depend on your feet. Absolutely. And do you prefer a particular brand or style of sock? I've, heard, I've had some, some guests on who swear by the toe socks. No, I, I've tried the toe socks. I don't like them as much. I like the very generic crew length wool sock that's <laughs> it's uh there's a lot of good brands and they all make very similar ones of that most basic sock that probably dates back to the gold rush days so i think uh <laughs> you can't go wrong with that one <laughs> nothing nothing too flashy but tried and true and of course <laughs> you've got thirty thousand miles under your boots so you know who are we to second guess <laughs> you on that very good thank you yeah. Yeah. I think most of my other gear has been pared down so far that there's not a whole lot of must bring stuff other than that. And the, the socks are something that directly translates into performance and how you feel. So I think many miles ago, most of the other fun stuff was cut out of uh, the pack, like pillows and things like sleeping socks and pajamas, all that stuff is way in the rear view mirror. <laughs> 
So that's interesting because I'm a bit of a gear freak when I have my guests on. And anytime there's a chance to talk gear and talk, you know, base weight and what you have cut out, uh, I'd love to take that opportunity. So what is your base weight for the long trail? Ooh, the long trail probably. When I say long so trail, I'm not referring to the oh, one in any long, long trail. Any long trail. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. The generic base weight's probably about nine pounds, maybe slightly over that. And then it really just depends on how long of a carry it is. Cause then I'll just take a bigger battery pack versus a smaller one. And that, that adds up. That's probably the heaviest thing in my pack. <laughs> right. So what does your sleep system look like? I use a quilt, a flex 22 catabatic quilt. And, um, I have, I'm on my second one and I got about 15,000 miles on my first catabatic quilt. So this one's pretty new with only two or 3000 miles on it. And what is that rated down to in terms of uh, 20, about 22 degrees, I believe okay. 22 degrees. Yeah. And it has a zip up to about your knees. So you can, it's like a kind of a transition quilt. Nice. Nice. And, and do you, uh, cowboy, uh, tarp or tent? Um, cowboy a lot. And then if not cowboy tarp, unless there's bugs, then I'll tent. <laughs> so the progression of what, what it takes. Right. Depends on the conditions and, and the trail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But tarp is, can be very comfortable. It takes a little getting used to, but you can pitch a tarp pretty darn good, even in the snow. <laughs> and do you, do you cook your food with a stove or do you cold soak? I do both. I, um, if speed is, is the goal, definitely not even cold soak, just a series of either wraps or bars or things, but um, cooking if it's more leisurely just because it's it's kind of a fun activity to have in the evening got it got it all what right. about you are you are you a cooker do you cook cold so, soak yeah so i've got a jet boil mm -hmm. uh, i've had i've had a number of guests who swear by the the cold soak and that it's you know that it, by the time they get to camp and they sit down their food's ready to go there's no having to you know get the water and and heat up the water and then wait for it to, you know, uh, boil the food in, in the packet. It's just ready to go. So um, also had a chance to have backcountry foodie, Erin uh, okay. Mayhew on the, on the podcast and she shared some recipes and I found out I'm doing food all wrong. My, my, <laughs> my food, I don't even look forward to it, but the food she was describing was, sounds incredible. So got to Man. change things up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a, uh plenty of good food and I've, I have a dehydrator and when I put the time in to dehydrate my own like vegetables to add into things even like peppers and things like that you can really change your demeanor just based on food versus getting your pot your nor pasta sides and thrown in seasoning that's not quite as good these days <laughs> yep Hey, let's back up a little bit and go over your background. Like, where did you grow up? What kinds of hobbies or sports were you involved in as a, as a kid? And was, was the outdoor experience a part of your childhood? Yeah, I grew up in a suburb of Portland, Oregon, in uh, Vancouver, Washington. And we would go hiking a few times a year, but or backpacking even. Um, but the backpacking we did was where you would hike three miles into a lake and spend three days at the lake fishing. And then you would hike back out. And to complete that three days at the lake, you would obviously have to carry in between 60 and 70 pounds of gear, just because that's how backpacking was done then. And we had big 
external frame packs. And um, from the time I was little, we would go. Uh, when I was a year old, I got so many mosquito bites on one trip that the daycare wouldn't take me because they thought I had chicken pox because that's how many bites. And then uh, another trip when I was younger, I got Giardia. So my parents really exposed me to all the stuff out there. We got stuck between a, a mo mama bear and her cub one trip. So we, we got the full immersion in my childhood. <laughs> and I think that really speaks to how powerful the outdoors are. Uh, in terms of just the great things out there that you can experience because you've experienced as, as, at, a, at a young age, mm -hmm. you know, Giardia, <laughs> mosquito bites, uh, scary wildlife, and yet you chose to continue to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really good to have that introduction and maybe it's a very different type of backpacking, but to just know that that's something that you can do and something that's out there. I think especially in the West, even every major city, it's not too far to the public lands around. And that's something that I think imprinted more than any of those other smaller memories or events is just like, oh yeah, we could drive an hour and go on our three mile backpacking trip, which is pretty cool to think about. Yes. Yeah. We are fortunate to live in the West. A lot <laughs> of great opportunities out here. Yeah. In the East, you just go find the AT, I guess. <laughs> Yes. And so what, what, so you went to high school, did you go to college? Yeah, I went to college. Uh, my sophomore year of college, I took off my spring term and that's when I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and then um, went back to college, finished that out and then moved to Denver. And in Denver, there's 58, 14,000 foot peaks. So I climbed one and obviously thought I should climb them all. So 10 weeks later, I'd climb them all. Wow. Um, just on the weekends trying to cram in five to 10 peaks at a time. Then from there. Uh, well, hold on just a second. Cause I want to, yeah. I want to go back to the moment. Uh, I understand your, your uh, early childhood was about, you know, hiking to the lake and staying there for a number of days and then hiking back out. When did you first become aware of through hiking and the long trails and decide, you know what, that'd be, that would be something I'd want to do. Yeah, so it started with the awareness. I'm sure I didn't want to know I wanted to do it then, but we went on one of those backpacking trips near, uh, let's see, um, Pamelia Lake in Oregon, um, kind of central Oregon area. And we saw a number of Pacific Crest trail hikers, through hikers, and, you know, they were uh, filtering their water out of one of the lakes we were at. And we talked to them for a little while and kind of, as we got to know them, it was like, wow, they've hiked from Mexico all the way up to here and they're headed to Canada. And it was one of those just strange things to think about. I didn't, I was in the midst of high school sports and really into basketball and baseball. So it wasn't like I was dreaming of quitting everything and doing that. But then a couple of weeks later, one of those hikers, um, there were a couple and the woman got sick. So she came and stayed at our house for a week. And she uh we offered to let her use the car and stuff but she's like no i can just walk to the grocery store two miles away and it's like uh okay but you know we can drive too and so that was really the introduction to more so the pace of life and like what they're out there doing rather than just you know hustling from school to practice to a game or something and then so that was in my mind and then i go off to college have 
a great freshman year and sophomore year I'm going down the route of being an engineer and suddenly I realize I don't really want to be an engineer so it's like well maybe I'll just take this term off and go hike the PCT and then I'll figure it out and so two weeks before I started the Pacific Crest Trail I decided that was my plan so I had no planning no prep just two, two weeks. weeks yep wow and so I, my parents said, you can go up in the attic and use any of the gear we have. Uh, and they're like, you're on your own financially, but you can use any of the gear that you grew up using with us. And we had those huge packs. So I uh, cut weight. I got it, got my weight reeled down, had a really good base weight. And I showed up at the terminus with a 55 pound pack <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> wow. External frame. And I, I carried that huge thing all the way to Kennedy Meadows and about 10 miles before Kennedy Meadows, the frame actually snapped because it had too much weight on it. And then from there, there was a, a old pack in the hiker box and some other hikers helped me sew it up with dental floss. And I hiked through the Sierra Nevada mountains with uh, a pack made out of dental floss just sewn together. And, and then after, you know, and someone sent me a spare pack about 200 miles later, and I was off for the races from there with gear from this century. <laughs> <laughs> and how did the base weight change with the new pack? Oh, it it went down quite a bit. I'd say I was in the 30s, maybe low 30s by the time I finished the PCT. But yeah, it started at 55, maybe hit 40 pounds by Kennedy Meadows, and then was in the thirties after that. And then has continued to go down since. So, and it's adjusted. Yeah. It's gone down since you're down to nine pounds. Now. Um, one of my, my, uh, questions that I asked to see how crazy you are about ultralight. Do you, how big is your toothbrush and do you, oh, drill, do you drill holes in the handle? <laughs> I haven't done holes in the handle. <laughs> and this is probably the one area where I don't cut anything because I think if you cut your toothbrush in half, you're not brushing your teeth very well. And so that's why I keep the full length toothbrush. I do have a, I do have the travel one where it pulls out and sticks like it's tiny and it's just like the extendable handle. So I think that's better than using a, a tool that doesn't work very well. <laughs> Fair point. Hygiene's important. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And so this was in 2011, the PCT hike. Yeah, that's where my my learning curve was the steepest. That's where I learned everything. And then from there, kind of everything was set up. I had this understanding that there was all this open land and that there were more trails. And I, uh, while hiking that year, I was told about what the Triple Crown is. And I thought in my head, there's no way I'll ever be able to do this two more times, but maybe one more time I can. And so I was thinking, wonder if I could do the Appalachian Trail and the Continental Divide Trail in the same year. And once I thought about that, it was like, well, I wonder if I could do all three in the same year. And so I didn't plan anything, but that's initially where that, that thought came to be. It just was like, I think it's possible. I'll put a pin in that and maybe someday try it. <laughs> and, and little did you know that uh, five <laughs> years later in 2016, yep. you do all three in a single calendar year. Yeah, it kind of just all worked out. I was working for a financial company in Denver. They were splitting apart. I was going to go with one side, but I kind of just worked myself into telling them 
maybe I'll be gone for nine or 10 months and then maybe be working here. So uh, yeah, it just uh, all worked out. And I think there was a sliver of a chance for it to work. And so I just burst through that crack and made the calendar year triple crown work and picked up the pieces afterwards. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get to that in, that incredible year in just a little bit here, but I want to go back to your 2011 PCT hike. When you got to the, the Canadian border, Mm-hmm. How long did it take you from Mexico to Canada? 108 days. 108. Yeah. That's good time. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, did the second half real fast. That's kind of where the calendar year triple crown thoughts started coming up. It's like, uh-huh. wow, when my base weight's about half what I started with, I can actually hike pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> when you're not weighted down with 60 pounds and an external frame. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah. And so when you got to Canada, what if, if, if Canadian border legend could whisper in the ear of Mexican border legend, uh, just some insight, what, what would he, what would he tell him? Probably don't be afraid to cowboy camp. <laughs> I remember my first night on the PCT. I didn't even make it up to Lake Morena, just somewhere on Hauser Ridge there. And I pitched my, three person, five pound tent, maybe heavier than that and crawled in and I barely slept because even the wind rustling branches and just thought everything was like an animal going to get me. And, you know, I've spent nights in the woods, but never alone until this moment. And it was a, it was a weird thing. I think I would just tell myself, well, maybe just be patient and all that fear kind of goes away. But yeah, it's a, it's a weird moment that first night out there, especially a lot of people these days, their first night camping will be on a long distance hiking trail. And that's kind of crazy to think that night one, and you're going to do it a hundred plus more times. And how long before the first good night of sleep on the trail? Um, I'm sure by Kennedy Meadows, I was sleeping pretty good. So maybe a week or so. And there were people around, but I was just completely alone. There was no one camped near me that first night. And it just made it even crazier to think, wow, just a couple weeks ago, I was in school and working and now I'm here. <laughs> I can't quit because then my parents are probably whispering behind my back that they think I'll come home and quit anyways. So can't quit no matter what. <laughs> Had that motivation. Any any funny stories from that uh, 2011 PCT through hike? Oh man, yeah, all kinds of funny stories or just wild stories. It was a record snow year um, in 11, so everything was covered, and I just remember just distinctly we were looking for Forester Pass and we're using maps and compass, and it's just so funny to think back on now that there wasn't gut hook, there wasn't GPS stuff, and we like we each had I had all the maps printed out from half mile back then and we all were holding up different portions trying to figure out which page we were even on trying to know which way around the pass to go and just thinking of stories like that make it seem like such a different world than we're at now where you can see your little icon showing exactly where on the route and then uh yeah just tons of mosquitoes in Oregon that was to be expected. And then the best part was I did the last 80 miles with my dad. So he kind of supported and sent out resupply boxes. And then I said, why don't you come up to Stahican and we'll do the last 80 miles together. 
And so he trained uh, this actually after we talked, my mom said he had her drop him off on the side of the road and he walked like 10 miles home that day to start his training for backpacking 80 miles with me. So that was a pretty cool way to finish. Nice. Now my wife has dropped me off 10 miles from home, but it wasn't for training. So <laughs> yeah, it, it became training. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. How was that? I can that last 80 miles with your dad. That had to be pretty, pretty epic. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. I got to slow down and smell the roses. Meanwhile, his feet are killing him and he's like the initial stages of a through hike, but it was cool. They've, my mom and dad have gone on to do things like hike the John Muir trail and do some stuff in the wind river range and stuff. So it's been cool to share in the outdoors and give bait on adventures and locations together. Mm -hmm. So that's been a cool situation. Nice. Yeah. I've had a chance to do some longer hikes, not, not like, like with anything you've done, but some longer hikes with my son and it's just been uh, uh, yeah. a great, great experience. So yeah, very cool. Hey, what were your uh, favorite, favorite moments or favorite locations from the PCT? Do you have any favorite spots? Yeah, we got to uh, Kennedy Meadows a few days, maybe early June and being a high snow year and everyone's still adhering to kind of the advice of Ray Jardine, which if you haven't heard of him, check out him and his books and stuff. And it was typical back then, most people would wait until June 15th to enter the Sierra and that that's called Ray Day. And that was our uh, target as well. So we hung out in Kennedy Meadows and played games we created with throwing snow baskets or washers into other holes. And it was just hikers hanging out. And um, yeah, it was in Tom Figueroa lived down there and he'd put a, a movie on the projector each night. It was like summer camp for three or four days waiting for the snow to melt. So that was a great time. And then of course, going through with that group through the Sierra, we had no time frame. We all carried extra food and we're just going to do 10 to 15 miles a day and just enjoy the experience Do one pass a day and just uh, really get to immerse ourselves in the, in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And it's funny looking back now because I've gone through five times now and I've never really smelled the roses like I did that first time. So I think that really stands out as such a cool moment to get to camp at like 2.30 or 3 p.m. and just get to enjoy it versus now it's like hike until it's dark and then pass out and, and repeat. It's just a different way to do it. And then, uh, yeah, seeing my family a few different times. I, um, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, but most of my family is scattered throughout Oregon. So once I hit Oregon, I got to see cousins, aunts, uncles, everyone all the way up. And being my first hike, it was really cool to have people be like, oh my gosh, you've actually made it this far versus now it's sort of like, what's your adventure now? But yeah, that was uh, just the little things like that and uh, really getting to enjoy what you don't know. Yeah. Um, in the Sierras, do you have a, a least favorite pass and a favorite pass? Um, man, I like them all, but maybe Muir Pass is my least favorite. I, and then, man, Glen Pass, just because it's by Ray Lakes, might get the award for best. Uh, but as far as actually climbing one, I like Mather because it's pretty tough. So, but yeah, I could say a good and bad thing about each of the passes. Yeah. We could do two hours on the Sierra. True. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And yeah. in 2011, was the Oregon Challenge a thing? 
where the, you try and cross the state in two weeks? Yeah, it was, it was a thing. It wasn't huge. Um, more so back then, I'd say some people tried to do the Oregon challenge, but a lot of people, it was like in Oregon, you try to do your biggest day. Like you try to do a day over 50 or close right. to 60 or something. And that's what we talked about a lot more than I guess the length of Oregon, but I didn't complete the challenge. I'm sure in Oregon, I took a couple days off and did, saw everybody. Did you try and do your longest day in Oregon? Um, no, I actually did a 50 mile day with my external frame pack from Walker Pass to Kennedy Meadows because I wanted to be done with it. So, and that's when I, the frame broke. So I, I was content. I did some 40 mile days, but I was content with the 150 mile day. Very good. Very good. And so then between 2011 and then the 2016 uh, calendar triple crown, what, uh, what kinds of activities were you engaged in during those five years to kind of prepare yourself? Yeah. So I graduated college uh, nothing did had to work in the summers after giving one of them up. And then after college, I used the rest of my money before starting to work to go hike the Pacific Northwest trail, which at, in 2014 was pretty, it was known, but it wasn't very well known. It was, uh, very rugged trail but it was also one of those trails that just sticks out in my mind in the nights that I'd be camping on the beach and watching the sunset over the ocean and stuff so it was a really cool trail it was a good way to do something because in my mind I thought I'd be signing up for a career in which I'd work till I retired and never do anything again which turns out that wasn't the case but uh yeah I wanted to sneak in one more through hike before going to work. <laughs> and you have to share with our listeners, when did, when did that decision happen where you said, yeah, I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to go the, you know, work 30, 40 years and then retire route. I'm going to do something else instead, something completely different, completely outside the norm of, of most people. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put 30,000 miles on my, on my boots by the time I'm 30. How did, how did you arrive at that decision? Because I'm wondering, you know, when, when can I make that decision? Probably already passed me. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> you, you have to do, yeah, a few more miles probably now to catch up to the age. <laughs> um, I think it's one of those decisions that you, like, I just wasn't comfortable. I wasn't enjoying the routine. I didn't enjoy the comforts of looking at nice cars or deciding if I wanted to buy a house. I like the moments where I could take the weekend off and say I wasn't going to have access to email and go climb some peaks or go backpacking or go find a new ridge to run or something like that. And it was sort of like, if my career and my work is so far from my passion and my enjoyment, like, is there a way to change this? Or do I have to literally do one thing or most of the time and then just go to enjoy something else some of the time? So I guess I didn't want to make that decision. So I just uh, found a moment. It was good to leave my career. And um, so I left, I worked in the industry two separate times, once before the calendar year triple crown and once after. And I think quitting both those times kind of helped me know what it was going to be like and what, what kind of it entails to not have, you know, company provided benefits and a paycheck every month and, and all that stuff. So 
it's just a process that is scary and you kind of got to jump into the deep end at some point and it's not for everyone. I make a lot less than I used to, but I'm also a lot happier. It's, it's give and take with everything. It's a definite trade-off. Yes. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think happiness is the key. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now I get to do most of my work is in some form of enjoyable. It's uh, definitely work, but it's more around the outdoors. So that's kind of nice. But as if anyone doesn't know and is hoping to get into working in the outdoors, there's not a lot of money in there because <laughs> everyone wants to do it. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear about the calendar triple crown and also something called the great Western loop. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. I'm Jeff Garmeyer. I've hiked 30,000 miles in my life and I'm 30 years old. I've done the calendar year triple crown, the great Western loop. And this year I'm going to be attempting the Barkley marathons and you're listening to the John freaking mirror pod. And welcome back. We're talking to legend about his experiences out on the trail. And when we left, we just finished talking about the Pacific Northwest Trail. We're going to talk now about the Calendar Triple Crown in 2016. He's already alluded to it a couple of times uh, in the first segment about how he started thinking about it while he was on the second half of the, of the PCT and trying to cram in more than one trail, more, more than one long trail uh, in the same year. Cause he didn't know how much time he was going to have. Little did he know that he would, he'd have all, all kinds of time, but uh, <laughs> back then this idea came to him and what kind of logistics are involved in planning for doing the three American long trails in one calendar year? Yeah. It's all about seasons and <clears throat> where you want to be when the worst of winter is hitting. So in the best case scenario, you can usually squeeze in close to two of those three in pretty good weather or good enough weather. So it's just deciding what to do with that third trail. And that third trail is going to be the Appalachian Trail because it's close enough to civilization. There's shelters at lower elevation. So basically the planning comes down to, are you going to do the Appalachian Trail first or are you going to do it last? And um, if you do it last, you can be faster overall, or it can take a less, a smaller period of time to do the whole calendar year triple crown, but also you're butting right up against New Year's, so you might not get it in in that calendar year. And so um, I chose to do it first, not really having much winter backpacking experience and wanting to have as much of a buffer to get through it as possible. <clears throat> so I started February 5th, and I... Um, hiked north on the Appalachian Trail and was just gonna get straight through finish and then then I'd be pretty good on the I was going to do the Pacific Crest Trail second because I was most familiar it would give me I knew it was pretty mild starting out it'd give me if I needed to recover any from a winter through hike and it would help me ease back into that and also I could take a couple days off and one of my favorite cities to visit in San Diego before uh, starting off on that and then I knew that or I was motivated that I'd just have to fly through the Continental Divide Trail going southbound and uh, try to beat winter through the Rocky Mountains and so 
the planning really is just you pick out the locations where winter is going to hit the hardest and you try to not be there when that happens. Okay. So you, you started with the AT February 5th northbound and what, what was the, uh, the date of your finish? Let's see. April, late April. It took 84 days. I want to say the 29th maybe. Okay. And then you finished that on April 29th. When did you start the PCT? And you're hitting northbound on the PCT. Northbound on the PCT starting May 3rd. No, May 2nd. May 2nd. Wow. April 29th, you finished one. May 2nd, yep. you're starting the second. Yep. And how long did that take you? Um, 79 days on that one. Yep. 79 days to do the PCT. Yeah. yeah. I was, I mean, I went in in perfect shape after one through hike. So. Oh, yeah. Feeling <laughs> <Yeah>. good. <laughs> Conditioning is, is uh, check, check that box. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So 79 days after May 2nd, what is, where does that put you on the calendar? Man, we're in, so May, June. So probably uh, mid to late July. Man, I have so many dates in my head. I bet. Um, <laughs> I want to say the third week in July is when I started the, so I finished and then I started this Continental Divide Trail in late, late-ish July. And so I took, I remember I took four days off. Uh, my parents are in Southern Washington. So they drove up to the border. They picked me up, drove me down. I took four days off and then I took the train actually. It went right from my parents' hometown out to East Glacier. So that was the easiest way. And I traveled to Glacier with my resupply box under my arm and I walked in with it to the store there and asked if they would just hold it because I'd be back in five days to pick it up. And then I got a ride up to the border and then I, I hiked down all the way through the park, uh, like 130 miles or so, came, grabbed my package and resupplied there. But it was pretty funny to talk to them like, can you hold this? I'll be back to get it later. <laughs> <clears throat> and so you're starting in late July. You've mm -hmm. got all of August, September, October, November, December to do the, the CDT. You're, you got to be feeling pretty, pretty confident at this point that you're going to get it done. I was still nervous because Wolf Creek Pass is Southern Colorado, about, I don't know, 10, 20 miles from New Mexico. And that's the area where Colorado gets the most snow and it can happen anytime. So I knew that I couldn't, go too slow or anything like there was some breathing room but I wanted to keep a similar pace to the PCT going just and you know there's the whole thing like if you get injured you're going to be slower or you got to take time off so there's there's definitely plenty of things to think about that are beyond the scope of just like oh I got plenty of time <laughs> right and so when, when did you finish the CDT October 15th okay yeah. <laughs> 15th. And you bring up a good point because any through hike, uh, no matter the amount of conditioning you've done, the preparation, the research, all it takes is a, a sprained ankle, you know, one bad mm -hmm. step, a slip and your trip is ruined. And that's just for one trail to, yeah. you know, you know yeah. to put, to string three long trails together in the same calendar year You've got to have all the prep. You've got to have uh, all the conditioning, but you have to have all the luck too, not to, not to have a, a misstep or a, an accident happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's um, a lot of luck goes into <clears throat> everything about hiking, even people doing it on a tight budget. If you have one of those injuries or something and have to any kind of medical or gear failure or something, there's there's a lot of ways that a through hike can fail, whether it's a nine month thing or a, or a 2000 mile thing. It's uh, when you think about it, it's actually pretty amazing how successful many people are and different types of people and how resilient the body is. I had tendonitis for the last 2,500 miles of it and it would come in waves and be bad some days, a little easier some, but it's, it's kind of amazing what you can walk through if you're that driven. Wow. Tendonitis for 2,500 miles. That does not sound fun. <laughs> so start the PCT with tendonitis. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. Now this calendar triple crown, was this the first time you would hike the AT and the CDT? Yep. Yeah. I, I had lived in Colorado for two years, so I knew Colorado pretty well, but as far as hiking any of that terrain, I didn't know it too well at all. Didn't know how many cows were on that trail. Especially down in New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico, even Montana, Wyoming, there are expanses of just cows. You're sharing water sources with cows a lot of the time. Right. Now, all, all the Triple Crowners know each other, so I'm assuming you know Ginger Balls. I, I know Ginger Balls a little bit, yeah. I was being facetious, but hey, very good. Um, he, he came on the pod, and he was talking about uh, the Continental Divide Trail, and he started, it was a northbound trip. And the start in New Mexico, he said, was pretty rough. And the cows and the limited water sources and the water sources with the, the cow, cow piles in them, you know, didn't really uh, do a lot to encourage him. So he, was, he had a lot of choice words about New Mexico. Yeah, New Mexico, especially if you're starting there headed north, can be a, there's not a lot going on for more than the first 200 miles. You don't even get a whole lot of good stuff going for quite a while. It wouldn't be my first choice to start a hike. <laughs> yes, that's what he said as well. So of the three trails, actually, you know what, rank the three, three trails in terms of uh, your favorite. Uh, number one is the PCT. Number two is the Continental Divide Trail. And number three is the Appalachian Trail. But I'm a West Coast guy, so completely biased. <laughs> but not uncommon ranking. I've, I've heard that similar ranking from other Triple Crowners on the podcast here. For some reason, the AT is uh, kind of like the stepchild they refer to it as the green tunnel, not a lot of sights sometimes, mm -hmm. and uh, it's pretty, pretty rough in a few spots. So, Yeah, it's a great one to get started through hiking because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of access to towns, shelters and stuff. You can really learn how to go hiking on that one. So there are benefits, but in my mind, not my favorite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now on the Continental Divide Trail, did you, I know there's not a lot of alternate routes what did your, mm -hmm. your mileage end up being on the CDT? Oh, good, good question. Probably around uh, 2,800 miles, I would guess. So maybe in that realm, 2,800, a little over that maybe. But uh, yeah, there's, so having done it the route twi twice now, I've done just about, when there's two choices, I've tried to do each one. So if I did one the first time, I went the other way the second time. Because it's, uh, when people talk about the alternates and the different routes, oftentimes one is 
head and shoulders above the other. So a lot of people go that way. And uh, it's changed a little recently just with burns, but still like in the Bob Marshall wilderness, there's definitely obvious routes that everyone goes because it's more scenic yet the official for some reason goes a different route <laughs> got it got it so by my my uh rudimentary mathematical skills that's about 7600 miles during that calendar triple crown yeah yeah i think uh added up to just under 7700 so you're right there yeah something okay. like that yeah that's a lot of miles <laughs> That is a lot of miles. How many pairs of shoes did you go through? And boots or trail runners? Trail runners. I think 12 pairs of shoes. So, yeah. <laughs> Are you sponsored by, by a particular uh, shoe company? <laughs> no, no. These were oh. just Columbia shoes bought off Amazon, delivered to places along the way. Um, actually, I, I wore this. I don't remember what brand or what uh, model, but... I wore this one model and had 11 pairs of it that I wore along the way. But one time in Colorado, it was $10 cheaper to get one that looks similar. And I got it. And within 200 miles, my feet were hurting. So I, I knew that it was a mistake to try to change it up. Just why mess with a good thing to save 10 bucks? <laughs> Fair point. And has anybody else done the calendar triple crown? Yeah. Um, Heather Anderson Anish, do you know who she is? Yeah, I've reached out to her. I've, I'm waiting to hear back from her. Okay, yeah, she she did it a couple years after me, and then um, a fellow or a Barkley Marathons finisher, Flying Brian Robinson, was actually the first one to do the calendar year Triple Crown. He did it like 20 years ago, so he did it in 2001, I think. So he's one of the he was the first one, and then. I'd say there's been a handful of people who've done it since then. So you are in, in pretty exclusive company. Yeah, I, I guess so. It's, uh, you know, for being nomadic and hiking alone, I guess you'd say I still am in ex exclusive company. <laughs> and is there, a, is there an FKT for the calendar triple crown? Not really. I think it's more so everyone keeps track of kind of like a through hike. You just want to know how long it took. And so maybe in that regard that it's tracked how long it took, there's an FKT, but I wouldn't say it's a competitive thing that people's goal is to set that FKT. If, if you're going for the calendar year triple crown, I think you just want to finish it. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask that question a different way to get to the point I was trying to make. Has anybody hiked it faster than you? Um. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, it's man, we can, we can get into FKTs later, but it's very different in the sense that you can jump around to different points on it, or you can hike each trail straight through. Mm -hmm. And so the different styles, there's a number of ways that people do it, but I think I'm among the faster ones. <laughs> I think so. I was just, I mean, just looking at these, these time periods here, 84 days, 79 days. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good right there for the first two. So yeah. Quick. <laughs> yep. All right. Very good. So you, you finished that in 2016 and then you decided, Hey, let's do something different. Let's do something called the great Western loop in uh, 2018. Yeah. Yep. I uh, worked for a couple more years and then I guess I was ready for another adventure and maybe to quit the working career world for good. So I uh, decided the Great Western Loop would be what I did. It 
it's only been done. Um, so I'm the second person who's done it. Andrew Skirka was the first one. And it's basically a loop around the Western United States that's 7,000 miles long. It's the Pacific Crest Trail northbound, and then you hit the Pacific Northwest Trail near the Canadian border. You turn right on that, hike 600 miles to the Continental Divide Trail, and you turn right onto the Continental Divide Trail, hike all the way south until about Doc Campbell's, the Gila River area, and then you turn right on the Grand Enchantment Trail, you take that and it merges with the Arizona Trail for a while and you follow the Arizona Trail all the way to the Grand Canyon. And from there, you're on your own to figure out your own route to connect the Grand Canyon to the Pacific Crest Trail. So just on yeah. your own. On Yeah, you draw it out. I drew it out on Cal Topo with Google Maps trying to link up cow ponds that I could treat water out of some cross country travel of just walking straight across the desert, others following four wheel drive roads or more defined roads. But yeah, it's uh, that's the fun part of it is you got to figure out your own adventure there. Yeah, for for our listeners out there who may not have uh, stumbled upon legends. Um, YouTube channel. It's called the the Free Outside. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's a lot of satire and parody, but it's pretty good. It, it's hilarious. It is. <laughs> it's very good. Uh, I had the good fortune of watching your your video on the Great Western Loop. Oh yeah, it's yeah. a long one. I think twenty twenty four twenty five minutes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, Seven thousand miles in 25 minutes it's i mean it doesn't seem long because it's it's bits and pieces and literally the clips are are like you know five seconds long it maybe that, that maybe that's the longest clip i don't know but it's a series of uh really short clips that you really get the flavor for what the great western loop is is all about so really well done thanks yeah it's a it's a very interesting trail because you have basically two points that really determine the success of the route and that's getting through the Sierra Nevada mountains as early as you can and then getting around the entire loop to the bottom side where you're at the Rocky Mountains the southern part of the Rocky Mountains and you want to get through there before winter hits and then you know kind of the New Mexico and stuff it snowed on me but made it through there but once you get through those key points you can kind of fight through the rest but it it really is kind of strange how it all hinges on those miles between the Sierra Nevada and the Rocky Mountains and just covering those before the seasons change too quickly. And with all of these miles and all of these, these trips, any, any moments of doubt on the trail? You ever out there saying to yourself, what have I gotten myself into? Uh, I'm not going to be able to finish. Or is that, is that uh, not even in your thought process anymore? It's not, the second part isn't, what have I gotten myself into? I've said a lot. There's a lot of times I'm not having fun. There's a lot of times I've done something that is just, I hate that I've done it. Like one time the mosquitoes were so bad. I dove in my tent. I started cooking. I lit my stove and it just shot right through the top of the tent. And it was like, oh my God, that was terrible. Just mosquitoes started pouring in. I'm mad. I'm getting bit. I have to crawl out, try to patch it with duct tape. And so there's moments like that where it's just, there's nothing about it that's good or that I'm enjoying. 
but I don't think there's ever moments where um, in these uh, adventures that I'm thinking I'm going to quit or I'm not going to make it on more of the faster things. There's been moments where I'm wondering if I'll be fast enough, but as far as quitting, it's usually not in my mindset. Nice. And in, in the video of the great Western loop, there is a, a single, I don't know, five second clip where you talk about, and you, and you don't refer to it again. You say you just got charged by a, a grizzly bear. Yeah. So I, yep. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I watched that the other day and I'm, I get to talk to you tonight. Cause I want to hear the rest of that story. How did that go? Cause it was just like, I got charged by a grizzly bear and then you're on to the next clip. So. Yeah. I think that's how through hiking goes. Something epic happens and you move right on. But uh, I came around the corner near, I think one of the forks of the two medicine river in the Bob Marshall wilderness. And there was a grizzly with its head in the bush. And I came around the corner and she smelled me and moved to the side and her two cubs were there and she stared at me and then immediately charged right at me. And I reached behind me, grabbed my bear spray from the water bottle pocket of my pack and was ready to go. But then she stopped about 20 yards from me, got on her, hind legs got up in the air and like just like sniffled did a, some weird things and turned her off around and charged off into the bushes with her cubs so I was all good and then within a hundred yards after that I crossed this um this hunter camp and they had their mules tied up and I just had to talk to something or someone about what happened so I started telling the mules what happened and then I saw the hunters were about 20 feet away, just staring at me like, what is this thing talking to our mules right now about getting charged by a grizzly? So that's kind of the headspace that getting charged by a grizzly puts you in. That is fantastic. <laughs> Those guys, what was going through their minds watching you talk to their mules? Yeah, I didn't waver anything to them, just started talking to their animals. Like, yeah, I can't imagine what they were thinking. <laughs> that is fantastic any other uh moments from the the uh great western loop or the calendar triple crown where you encountered some serious wildlife yeah i got charged by a moose um in the calendar year triple crown it was near steamboat springs colorado and just came up was hiking down the trail i thought there were um a shed or antlers laying on the ground and was like, Oh, I'm close to town. I can pick these up and move them back or send them back. Then they started moving and it turned out it was two bull moose and one of them got up real slow and I'm videoing. And then suddenly he just puts his head down and charges right at me. And I dove into the bushes, just started scrambling up and hid behind a tree. And he was looking around for me. And eventually they're not very bright. Eventually he, had that moment where it was like, what am I doing up here again? And he sauntered back to where he'd been sitting earlier and sat back down and I backtracked and went all the way around. But that one had me laughing. It was just like, this is so stupid. <laughs> now, legend, you say that they're not too bright, but you were the one who was uh, actually trying to pick the, the antlers up off the ground that were still <laughs> attached to his head. Well, I wasn't too close to him, but yeah, no, I think it, maybe it was maybe I wasn't on my game and they weren't too bright and nothing really happened. Just some people running around circles, trying to get each other. <laughs> Very good. So if people tune into your YouTube channel, what, what kind of content can they expect to find? Oh, I'd say 
premier level studio quality videos highlighting everything surrounding the outdoors or mostly parodies of what I just said. Just any, if, uh, if your favorite gear reviewer has done a gear review of your favorite tent, well, I've probably done the review shirtless in a bathrobe in the snow in my front yard. So that's how I would describe it. And, you know, I've reviewed all sorts of key items that you want to know more about, like tent stakes or, uh, you know, just t-shirts. Um, I've reviewed my own book. Uh, you can just, anything you can think of that maybe you didn't know you needed to see a review of, it's probably on there. Yes, you're, I think you had an Instagram post recently, maybe even today, about how to, how to uh, clear your water filter. Yeah, yep. That, that was, was very, really, that was very helpful, very insightful. Yep. It's, uh, I had to get it in under 30 seconds, so I sped up some of the audio, so it's, it's a lot of entertainment. <laughs> very entertaining. And talking about speed, let's talk about something else you're known for, and that is FKTs also known as fastest known times on trails. Mm -hmm. What kinds of FKTs are you associated with? Or do you? Yeah, um, I've done the Colorado Trail, the Long Trail, the Arizona Trail, um, the Pinhoti Trail in the south, the southeast, uh, tran running across Zion National Park. Um, uh, man, a a few in Montana that are, I guess, lesser known. I don't know. You might have the list. What else is on there? Uh, the highest peak in Costa Rica. I have that one too. That was, that's a good story. If we're going to tell a story, I don't tell a lot. Let's talk about that one. Let's do it. Go for okay. it. Okay. So I, I moved, I went to Costa Rica about a yeah, a little over a year ago before this pandemic thing. And I, um, was just running on the beach for a couple months, uh, working a little bit remotely, just kind of breaking even, having fun. And then it was like, finally time to book a return ticket. So book that. And it was like, well, I kind of want to see the mountains here because there's plenty of mountains. And obviously found the tallest one and knew I needed to climb it. So I took a bus across the country, uh, got Airbnb where I was staying. And and I looked at the time to the top and he was like, I think I could break this record. And so got, I had like, a, I think I just took a backpack. I didn't really have too much good gear. Just had a backpack with a water bottle and took off and just flew up the mountain. It was pretty good weather. It's always muddy. So I was slipping and sliding, but made it to the top feeling really good and just took a little bit of a break and then sprinted down and then about three miles from the bottom, I was like really tied on breaking the, the record. And so as fast as I could go is what, what I did. And then I finally got to the bottom, stopped the watch and I'd lost by three minutes. So I didn't get the record. And so immediately I was just disappointed more than anything along with laying on the ground, just dying, having tourists wondering what, what I was doing on the side of the road. And, uh, so I went back to my Airbnb and it was like, oh, I was going to move up to the capital city tomorrow, but it was like, okay, change of plans. In two days, I'm going for this again. So I went to Walmart, bought a fanny pack, bought a better water bottle for it. And two days later, I went back to the same trailhead with, uh, yeah, it's probably 
8,000 feet of elevation gain. It's 26 or 25 miles round trip. So knowing I'm doing the same thing, still sore from the last time and in between attempts, it's rained. I just knew I was so close. I wanted to at least try it again. And so this time everything went perfect, left nothing to chance, even though the conditions were worse. I just, I pushed even harder and broke it by, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. So that was, it's one of my favorite things that I've done because I remember walking to the start of it thinking like, this is so stupid to do this again. Like three days later, it just is such a, a rough route where you go straight uphill for 13 miles and straight downhill for 13 miles, but got it done and kind of proved to myself that, you know, mental toughness to just want to take those first steps. So like two marathons, two vertical marathons in the span of what, two days, three days? Yeah. Within, yeah, three days, I guess. <laughs> that is nuts. And as you're going through that and you're talking about laying on the ground, you know, exhausted, wondering what other people were thinking about had just happened to you. Uh, I, I wondered if on any of your FKTs that you've done, do you ever run by other hikers uh, or people who are on the trail and you just yell out bear? And you, you, you keep going, just, you know, just, you know, keep that's things a, interesting out there. That's a great strategy. Actually, when I've done the, I did the John Muir trail with uh, my friend, John Airborne, um, a couple, let's see, in 2019. And when we, we were just hiking and having fun, when we'd be hiking by a big group, we would just stop and start pointing into the valley. And then they would all stop and be pulling out binoculars and looking and thinking we saw something and we'd keep going, but we just laughed every single time. It's like, like in Yellowstone, I live near Yellowstone and people think when cars pull over that that must mean there's some big animal next to it and 50 cars will pull over. So it is fun to, to do that once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I had a guest on the, on the podcast who in crowded situations or in situations where there wasn't a lot of cover for you to go to the bathroom uh, he would he would stand uh, if you if he was just if he just had to pee he would stand and he would point up into the sky and people would would look in that direction while he was just doing his business. <laughs> That's genius, yeah. I think, yeah, just pointing in any situation, people's eyes are going to follow. <laughs> yeah, his wife was pretty critical of him and said, "Yeah, nobody fell for that. They just saw this this guy." you know, peeing uh, while he was pointing, pointing up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> like calling a shot or something. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> this one's for you. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's how you get the nickname, the babe. So the babe, that's a good one. Yeah. That works perfect. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to get to one of my favorite topics and I bet my regular listeners can guess what that might be. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Michael Wardian, professional marathon and ultra marathon runner, and you're listening to the John Freaking Muir podcast. And welcome back. Talking to legend, and I kind of left a little teaser as we left the last segment about you know, what we'd be talking about next. It's one of my favorite topics, and so if you're a regular listener, you know that we're going to be talking about the Barkley Marathons, because I found out right before we began recording tonight's episode that legend 
is actually competing in the Barclays in the next couple of weeks. So, yep. <laughs> tell us a little bit about that uh, legend. This is the first time you're going to attempt it. I think you were you were entered into last year's race, which got canceled because of COVID. Yep. Yeah, this will be the first year. It's uh, a little different with COVID. There might be a few less people, but going to be the same course, the same weird setup and how everything works still going to be started with a cigarette still going to be 130 miles with 70,000 feet of elevation gain so it's pretty much going to be the same when you're out on the course just a few changes in camp it sounds like so we'll see how it goes but yeah all trained up and just about ready to head out there before too long now I want to point out something about your your hiking resume your your outdoor adventure resume and, you know, 2011, two weeks, uh, with two weeks worth of, of prep, you did the PCT. And then you said, you know what, uh, that's, that's not enough. I'm going to do all three long trails, all three American long trails in one calendar year. And then, you know what, a couple of years later, I'm going to do 7,000 miles across nine states and something called the Great Western Loop, where the ending of it, I basically have to find my own path from, from the Grand Canyon to the PCT. And now, and then also all of the assorted FKTs that you have undertaken and, and completed. I mean, you're, you're pushing the limits. Um, I, I, I see the Barkley marathons as the natural progression in this process here. Yeah, I'm hoping so too. That's uh, kind of what I've been aiming at as well. And I think it's, I've always thought I can do best when, it's pretty awful conditions or it's really difficult or it's easy to quit for people. If it's a straight foot race or running around a track, I won't do as well. But I think this type of thing where it is so self-reliant and that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. And the worst uh, or the steeper the terrain, the better, the, the more stuff to fight through, the better, because that's just when you get to think about how you made the decision to be out there by choice, which is always a fun one to come to grips with. And we talked a little bit about how the long trails uh, came into your, your consciousness. When, when did the Barclays hit your radar? Oh man, it was after the video on Amazon prime, the race that eats it's young. Um, I believe my cousin sent it to me and that's when it was like, Oh my gosh. And then, Matt Mahoney has a website that has a lot of good stuff. And I just dove deep into knowing this type of stuff or just into what it, what was it all was about. And at the same time, I got into the Barkley marathons and wanting to know more about that. I was researching Nolan's 14. So another um, hundred mile challenge with 50,000 feet of elevation gain. I just wanted these stupid numbers and just to try them and see what would happen. Right. I think we, we glossed over that. We didn't talk about that at all. Nolan's challenge. Didn't you add that on to the Great Western Loop? Yeah. In the middle of the Great Western Loop, I uh, just decided, well, I'm trained. I'm right here already. I might as well try to summit 14 14ers and link them together over 100 miles within 60 hours. And so I finished in 59 hours and 33 minutes with my full backpacking gear, which about that nine pound base weight. So 60 hours, I mean, that's a, a magical time period because that's the same time period that applies to the Barclays. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, 
people love that two and a half day time period for a number of events and Nolan's 14 as well as the Barkley have that, that same magic number. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's kind of perfect because you could stay awake the whole time, but you're going to be getting a little weird or you could try to sleep just a little bit, but then you might be cutting it even closer. So it's that perfect amount of time that, you know, you can try a few different strategies and no one really knows what's going to work. So do you care to share your strategy going into the, into the Barclays? Oh man, definitely just get through loop one and loop two and just see, see where I'm at. But the funny thing about the Barclay marathons is it starts sometime in a floating 12 hour period. So it could start at midnight when I get out there, or it could start at noon. And I don't know until one hour before it's going to start. And so there's a conch shell that's blown randomly in that 12 hour period. And that signals the race will start in one hour. So talk about not sleeping well. That's just a strange setup. If you signed up for a marathon and it said, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day we'll start. We'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. That sleep is going to, it's going to feel like that first night on the Ridge on the, on the PCT. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a really good point. Now, have you, have you watched um, Where Dreams Go to Die? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, uh, I've watched about everything out there on the Barkley, and that's a great film just on YouTube, too, for mm. listeners out there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a – I think I love that movie the, so much because kind of a spoiler alert, it might not be the most happy ending. <laughs> you might not get that feel-good story and walk away like – Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I think the title kind of uh, clues you into that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Dreams go to die. Yep. It doesn't get more real than that. <laughs> yeah. So I, I've had the opportunity to have uh, Michael Wardian on the, on the podcast and more recently, Jamil Corey, and they shared their experiences on the Barclay. And so I, I cannot wait to hear how it goes for you and what kind of stories you bring back from there. So uh, if I can, I'd like to get a commitment out of you to come back on and, and talk about the Barclays at, at some later date. Yeah, definitely. I Hopefully we can do a, a whole pod on just hallucinating over the years and we'll include the Barclay on that. <laughs> that is a great themed episode right there. Hallucinating <laughs> on the trail. Yeah, self-induced hallucinating without drugs. I think that's perfect. <laughs> and when I talked to uh, Jamil Corey, he talked about uh, this something he went through in 2015 that he coined the slam of the damned. It was four of the toughest ultra races, trail running ultra races out there uh, capped by the, by the Barkley. And he finished the first three and then <laughs> fell short in the Barkley. And so now this year, 2021, he's doing slam of the damned part two. And oh, uh, wow. he's starting off with the Barkley and then the, the three other races come after, but. Uh, I, I have similar, not, yeah, I I've not similar, heard of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to take a listen. Um, but in just in terms of, of pushing himself and I, I see the same thing in you, you know, you're, you're constantly looking for the limit. Have you found mm -hmm. the limit yet? No, but I think it's a process. I don't think it's this light bulb moment like in a cartoon strip. Like when I did the Colorado Trail record this 
um, past September, I, uh, I set a goal of breaking nine days and I broke the record, but I didn't break my, I guess you call it reach goal. So it's kind of landing in the middle there. So I got what I set out to do and breaking the record, but kind of the arbitrary number that I set out there, I didn't break. Whereas on the long trail two years ago, I did reach my reach goal by, I don't know, a few 12 minutes or something. I, I broke uh, the goal I was going for. So it's, it's about setting, I think it's really honing the goals you're setting and trying to get them right there to get the most out of yourself. And if sometimes you're hitting that stretch goal and sometimes you're not, maybe you're, you're getting close to figuring out what you're capable of. And, and that's pretty fun. That's when things get fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, what kind of training did you do leading up to the Barkley? So much vertical gain. I uh, pretty much stopped. I think I took the face off my workout watch that even tracked miles. I was just counting vertical feet and time of exercising. And so some running, um, some slow trail running uphill, but really just focusing on that vertical gain. Cause with a race with 70,000 feet of elevation gain, I mean, that doesn't even make sense. That's like Everest almost three times. So. Wow. And we know that first time competitors in the Barkley have to bring some special gift uh, to Laz mm-hmm. at the beginning of the race. What, what is he requiring this year? Oh, well, so that's, so returning people will have to bring, if you haven't finished, you'll bring a special gift for the virgins. You bring a license plate from your home uh, state. So I got my Washington license plate ready to go and I've had it for three years. I'm, I'm excited to give it away. I thought last year I'd get to get rid of it, but it's, it's been burning a hole in the bottom of the bin. It's in, <laughs> but I think it's, it's Mox. I think it's Moxie soda this year. Moxie soda. He's done that before. Yeah. 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 And so uh, the other participants that I've had on the pod uh, who have done the Barkley, um, they, they've shared that the, the entrance process has been uh, pretty top secret. They're pretty vague about their, their explanation mm-hmm. of how they got into the race. So I'm looking to you to give our <laughs> listeners the detailed uh, step-by-step process on how to uh, get accepted into the Barkley marathons. Go ahead. Yeah, tell us, tell us how you do it. Yep. Here it is. So donate about a week of researching everything on the internet associated with the Barkley. And then you'll have a vague idea of maybe a process you need to do to do it. But even then it's going to be tough. So it's secretive, but I still think probably close to a thousand people a year still apply. So good luck. Even if you do get past the secret process, you got to, you got to stack up to a bunch of other people. So yeah, I hope that's helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Very helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Um, You know, the, I, I just tried to join the, the Facebook group the, you know, the Barkley Marathon's mm-hmm. Facebook group, and it had a questionnaire on it. And evidently I answered one of the questions wrong because I'm not a member. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's so much secrecy around it. And even since I've started applying, I guess, three years ago, there's, there's more on the internet than there used to be. So really listeners could figure out a lot by just poking around the internet. You know, there is a book waiting to be written about the Barkley marathons, especially, you know, back in the days before the internet. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you think that the process, the, the entrance process is secretive now, I mean, what was it like 25 years ago? 
yeah well everything was done through mail and you had to hope your mail carrier got it there the right time so yeah crazy so what what is the one part of the barclays that you're most looking forward to and what is the the one one piece that uh you're not too excited about I'm not excited about any form of fog. I'm actually a bit terrified that if fog comes in, it's going to be real tough. So I can't imagine if you can only see 50 feet, how, how all that navigating is going to go. Yeah. And I don't then, want to put any bad thoughts in your head, but Wardian ran into fog and uh, yeah. very chilly temperatures found himself sitting in a cave uh, battling hypothermia. Yeah. He didn't have the best showing. We can, I'm sure he talked about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've messaged with him a little bit. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm most looking forward to really using my skill set of being out there, knowing I'm out there for anywhere from nine to over 12 hours or even more. And knowing that I've done that over, I don't know, a thousand times in my life of hiking days and stuff. So I think that's where I'm going to feel very comfortable. I can just see if fog's creeping in that it'll be that stress of not progressing on the course if I'm struggling with that. But as far as being nervous, something will go wrong or stressing about that. I feel pretty good about getting through any type of weather or, or environment or anything, any adversity as far as, uh, I mean, it's an ultra running course. I've done things that are like 10 times that far or a hundred, right? Yeah. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> Heck, you did 7,600 miles in a year. You can do, you can do 130 miles in 60 hours. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, I'm just excited to get out there and really uh, just start. It's like when anything you're nervous about, it feels so much better once it's begun. And we're getting close enough that it's starting to get a little nervous. <laughs> yeah, what, what are the skill sets that you need to be successful at the Barkley? I think it starts a lot in your mind. You have to actually want to do something that difficult. You have to want to be out there that long when it's so easy to stay in camp and sleep. You have to, for some strange reason, want to go out there and keep on, keep on tracking and moving forward. And then as far as physical, I think a lot of it starts before the race and you want to, you have to want to train and peak in the middle of winter, which is very hard, especially living in Bozeman is, you have to want to go out and do those hill repeats. And then beyond that, the skill set I think is, is really just piecing together the race. So something will go wrong, but if you let that kind of sit there and then overcome it, and then you conquer the next thing, or you can let that snowball into multiple things going wrong and your race is ruined. So kind of being able to work in a siloed environment where one wrong turn doesn't turn into 10 of them, which ends up inside a cave battling hypothermia. You got to, you got to kind of just be able to take yourself back to wherever you were before. Right. I think if I were training for the Barclays, this is just me now. It's just, you know, my two cents that I would do a, a few stretches of uh, 60 hours without sleep and, <laughs> and making, making important decisions during those 60 hours to, you know, just prepare myself. Yeah, like stay up 60 hours, then do your taxes, something like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nailed it. That's perfect. <laughs> and you win if you don't get audited. Yeah, you don't know if you win for a few months, but eventually, yeah, or years. 
Yeah. Nice. So what is the start date roughly? I know there's a 12 hour window. What is the start date roughly for the Barkley? Uh, roughly it's the end of next week. So. You can't even provide the date. <laughs> I don't really know. I haven't done it before, so I'm going to tread real lightly. <laughs> okay. The end of next week. Okay. We're not going to, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make watch. you violate any kind of rules in case Laz is listening. I, I don't want him to blacklist you. So watch uh, Keith Dunn on Twitter. He puts out tweets covering the yes. event and I assume he will this year, but yeah, someone after, will, it'll be easy to find. After I talked to Jamil Corey, um, I, he, he mentioned, um, what was, what was the name again? Last time done. Keith, Keith Dunn. Yeah. Keith Dunn, yeah. So I, I followed him on Twitter. I'm waiting for, for my updates. Yes, very yep. good. Very good. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Hey, we wish you the best of luck. And a, a, a great showing and some brand new stories from the Barkley. Oh, there, there will be plenty, I'm sure. Just got to remember them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, let's, let's segue to, to your book. You're an author as well. Tell us about, yeah. tell us about your book. Yeah, I wrote a book on the calendar year Triple Crown. Enough people told me I should that I finally decided that I knew how to write and I knew how to read, so I would give it a shot. And I came up with the book. And uh, yeah, it really just details. It gets a lot into trail life, kind of all the events, things like getting attacked by a moose, swimming a frozen river in Maine, um, and there's an audio book out too for all the hikers out there that like to listen to things while they walk or, or runners. But yeah, it's a, it was a really good way to think back on everything and get to think through the whole adventure one more time, because over time things kind of turn into two or three stories that you tell over and over again, but it was a good way to go through the 252 day process of hiking 7,600 miles. So it was therapeutic in a way. It was about as hard as the actual adventure. So it was not easy, but it was a fun process. And yeah, free outside, anywhere you can buy books. Okay. And when, when, did, when was it published? When did it come out? Um, September of 2019. And what has been the reception of the book? Uh, people have liked it. Yeah. A lot of people have really enjoyed it. I don't think there's another book on the calendar year triple crown out there. So I got that market cornered, which is real nice. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So what's next for legend after the Barkley? Oh man. Um, so just with the state of the world, some things I'd like to do this upcoming year would, um, I'd really like to get up to Alaska and maybe put a couple weeks, two or three weeks in exploring some of the terrain up there. And then on the FKT circuit i'd love to attempt the john muir trail fkt so we'll see everything's fluid and you know with deciding to do the pct within two weeks i could change my mind real quick on anything but you know want to go right. international as well so all kind there's a lot of stuff out there very good now when you do the fkts are they supported or unsupported um i like going unsupported so um, pretty yeah every single one I've done has been unsupported so I have thought about the idea of having the crew or something so maybe someday do that that whole thing where you get to a road crossing and go through the car wash of everyone handing different stuff putting new pack on you and telling you to get back out there that might be fun someday well when you said JMT I was going to offer to resupply you you know over over Kearsarge but I'd probably get to the trail and you'd run by and you'd just yell bear as you were going by so <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. I'd point up in the air while peeing or something. <laughs> You're learning all the tricks on this show. All the tricks. Yeah, I know. They're all out now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm going to take you through an impromptu top five list. And of okay. the 30,000 miles of trail, what were the top five moments? Can you distill it down to top five? Oh. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of distance. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. Okay. Um, top five moments. Um, so we're ordering one, like one through five you want, or do you want just five? <laughs> if, if you're able to do a countdown from five to one, um, yeah. that would be great. If you can't, if you just want to talk about five that are all kind of equally epic, that's fine too. It's up to you. Yeah. Okay. We'll go with, uh, number five is going to be, I'd say, uh, hiking over Forester Pass, our first high pass in 2011 and just feeling so cool climbing over that pass guided by map and compass and, um, we are pretty proud of ourselves. It's one of my favorite pictures. Uh, so that's number five. Um, we're, number four, we're going to go with the final mile of the long trail, fastest known time, because I was so exhausted that, I don't know, I would have done anything to sleep and just seeing the, the sign at the end was just more relief than anything. So that's going to be number four. Um, number three is... Let's see, it's going to be uh, the last mile. I'd run out of water. It was 95 degrees walking down Waterton Canyon uh, to finish out the Colorado Trail record. And just that final mile or that final moment, touching the sign, finishing and getting to drink a Gatorade in uh, near uh, Denver with my girlfriend there. That was, that was pretty epic. That was pretty awesome. Um, number two most memorable let's go with the finish of nolan's 14 on the great western loop because that opened the door and the idea of doing fkts because i just completed a challenge in the allotted time for the challenge so that gave me the idea that maybe i can be competitive in some of these fkts in the future so i would say that that's number two and number one now this is tough Let's see what number one, I think, hmm. Okay, number one, the most memorable, probably because it's one of the more embarrassing, is I was in on the Appalachian Trail in the winter, uh, just in just over the Georgia border. And I started out the morning, it snowed like a foot overnight and just was had the goal to make it into town that day. And hiked pretty hard through the morning, was actually making good time. And then I started seeing things I'd already seen. And then I looked at my map and it turned out I walked an hour the wrong direction. So I think that just in my mind, that's one of the funnier things. And when you think about how many cool things you've done and then that you still get to make really stupid mistakes and just turn around and walk an hour back and start your day over. <laughs> it's a good thing you didn't pick up your trail name from that event. Yeah, wrong way or yeah, <laughs> wrong turn, backtrack. Yeah, there's a lot of good ones. Backtrack, I like that. Very good. Very good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, Legend, yeah. you know where we are right now? Where are we? We are at that time 
of the episode where I ask you for your pro tip insight cool. of the week. What can you share with our listeners to make their next adventure even better? Yeah, pack if you so pack your meals, pack all your stuff in Ziploc bags because Ziploc bags can save your life. I've used Ziploc bags over my socks to climb Mount Whitney in 20 degree weather. They provide insulation. When my gloves were not warm enough to make it through the Smokies on the Appalachian Trail in the winter, I use Ziploc bags over my gloves and um, sandwich them like so that they uh, held in more heat as well there. Um, I've used them to keep all kinds of gear um, dry and stuff. I would just say as hikers, whether you're day hiking, um, overnight, just section hiking or through hiking, the uh, Ziploc bag tricks, they are worth their weight in gold. And it's always good to have a couple extra around and multiple times they've made my uh, experience a lot better. Hopefully that works for your gear tip. There you go. A tip from guy with 30,000 miles on the trail. So listen up and take that seriously. Ziploc bags. Good, good choice. Yeah. You may not think it, but they are perfect. <laughs> Very good. So there you have it. That's it. This bonus episode for season two is in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with legend. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Legend, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Yeah, Instagram is at the free outside, Twitter's at the free outside, and then there's a free outside Facebook page and also freeoutside.com. And my book, um, if you can't guess what it's called by now, then I don't know if you'll find it. So, and tell us about the title. Why, why free outside? Uh, it was an available domain name in like 2014, and I liked it. So I bought it, and then I just became that domain name. So, just like any good business. Very good. It was available. Nice. Yep. Simple. <laughs> Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakinmuir at gmail.com. Legend, I'm also looking to you to give our listeners your recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, a website, or a YouTube channel that will keep them connected to outdoor adventures. What, uh, what do you have to suggest in the realm of adventure media um, I other guess than your book right and your YouTube channel. That's, that's a given that's stipulated. Well, I think we're going to bring this full circle because I would say, cause it's kind of in my realm unsupported by Jason Fitzpatrick. I believe it's maybe on Vimeo or YouTube or somewhere like that. It's a great film and it's short, like maybe 30 minutes or something. And it's, it's intense. It's a fun watch. So I would say that's one you got to check out. Very good. Unsupported, Jason Fitzpatrick, the man who recommended that I talk to you. <laughs> Very good. Yep. And also, before Perfect. we wrap things up, I'm starting a new segment called, What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Me About? What Did I Miss? <laughs> oh, man. Um, hmm. That is a great question. I don't, I don't know. What, what do other people ask me? I guess my uh, favorite thing to have after a long adventure is an ice cold beer and a lawn chair. That's, you know, maybe it's a suburban style thing, but there's nothing better than car camping or finishing a long run and just plopping down in that lawn chair with an ice cold beer. 
Do you have a do you have a particular brand or style of beer? Just a nice IPA. I don't drink a ton, but a good beer. My aunt always says, like, you know, you you want to always buy good beer because what's the point in drinking bad beer? True. She's a wise woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap from the John Freaking Mirror Studio. Any shout outs to friends or family, legend? Oh, just Jason, we mentioned, and then also John Schwartz, Airborne, he came up a little bit. And then everyone else, yeah, they all can be lumped in together. <laughs> okay. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're in the Berkeley Marathons and the fog starts creeping in. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. You'd think, with four of us spread out on a tiny island, that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But, as I've learned, no matter where I've been, whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.